Why don't we uh, go to our Bibles now uh, before, um, as Daniel comes to preach the word. We're going to 2 Corinthians today, chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. We're going to go all the way to the end of the chapter and to the first verse of chapter 7. So 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, all the way down to verse 1 of chapter 7. All right, let, let me read, uh, if you can follow along with me. Verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. In verse 1 of chapter 7. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Amen. This is the word of God. Paul, I think you might have given it to me. Sorry. Um, I might also have a cough as well, uh, continuing the trend of pastors who apparently have a cough uh, as they preach. Uh, but yeah, please excuse me um, if I do um, kind of pause and cough for a little bit. Um, I heard it's uh, a bug that's kind of going around uh, here and there. I've heard a couple of us have, have been you know, a little bit sick. Um, hey, Josh, how are you? Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, let's uh, look after ourselves and uh, look after one another as well. Um, yeah, let's uh, jump into... Uh, we've been continuing our sermon series on the daily grind gone through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then now we're down to Friday. Uh, what do we get up to on a Friday? Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, often we go out on a Friday night, don't we? Uh, so let's uh, go back to our story of Jack. Uh, good old Jack. Um, Paul, is Jack a Christian? Let's say he is a Christian. So Jack the Christian, um, his weekly, uh, weekly schedule. So he's uh, had a long week. He's pushed through. Monday to uh, Friday, he's made it to the Friday, he's clocked off of work, and Jack can spend his Friday night uh, in one of two ways, let's say. The first scenario is, a couple of his work colleagues have said, hey Jack, let's go out, let's hit the pubs, uh, let's get on the bevies. His work colleagues have invited him out to, yeah, some work drinks. He also has a second option. Uh, Jack, he's a Christian, uh, he's also single. Uh, he's, uh, he's, he's on the apps, and uh, for some reason, his hinge game has been popping off this week. He's talking to multiple girls at the same time, and apparently I hear that that's okay. Um, and uh, one of the girls goes, hey, want to meet up? And then he's like, hmm, maybe. It's his first date opportunity. Whether Jack chooses to hang out with his work friends, or whether he chooses to meet this girl that he's been texting on hinge, Jack faces a challenge. It's not a challenge of whether to go to work drinks or go on this date. But whatever he does, how does his faith impact that Friday night? 
How does his faith impact his Friday night out? Yep. Yeah. Uh, out of all the uh, churches in the New Testament, I think the Corinthian church faced challenges that most closely resemble our own. Um, it's because Corinth, like Sydney, was quite a metropolitan city. Corinth, like Sydney, the majority were not Christian. Uh, they were pagan. Um, for us, we deal with all, uh, all sorts of you know, different religious uh, backgrounds and atheists and agnostics and so on and so forth. We live in a, a secular society. For them, they lived in a pagan society. So uh, regardless, the Christians were a, a small minority in their city. And like us, a lot of these Corinthian Christians, they grew up in that pagan slash secular culture. And a lot of them became Christian out of that pagan secular culture. And as a result of that, they had jobs in the pagan secular culture and had a lot of friends in that pagan secular culture, just like us. The Corinthian Christians probably didn't go to the pub on a Friday night. And obviously, they didn't go out on a Friday night with their hinge date. But what they did do was hang out with non-believers on a Friday night. Most definitely. Whatever they got up to, whether they hung out with their non-Christian friends at the local temple, and apparently they actually did. Christians did hang out at temples of other gods, and uh, we know this uh, by looking at the subject matter that the Apostle Paul deals with in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Whatever they might have done, they immersed themselves in a non-Christian environment on a Friday night, typically, like we sometimes do. So, And to the Christian, whether it's the Corinthian Christian or the Kingsway Christian, when we go out on a Friday night, God's word still speaks to us. And for a lack of a, uh, this is kind of like a summary of my next 30 minutes. This is what God says to the Christian going out on a Friday night. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Whether it's a night out with work friends to the pub, going out to the city, whether going out on a date, when you bring your faith out with you, God gives us this one simple, very simple phrase to just sit on, along with three arguments why these first seven words of the passage matter so much on a Friday night. So we're going to look into these three arguments. The first argument that Paul gives is the logical one. 2 Corinthians 6, 14, 18. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Belial is another, uh, another name for devil. Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. So just like us, when we go out on a Friday night, more often than not, the Corinthian Christians socially mixed with non-Christians. And it's worth pointing out before we move ahead that Paul doesn't say, the Bible never says, do not associate with unbelievers. It never says that. Christians are not Pharisees. We're not people who avoid non-Christians because we're scared that they might give us the unholy cold or something. He says, do not be unequally yoked. What does that mean? Um, 
I'd be surprised if any of us actually knew what a yoke was. Anyone know what a yoke is? I, I, maybe some of us do because um, we're Bible nerds like me, but, but most of us don't because a yoke is basically, uh, actually, I'll describe it with a modern uh, analogy. Have you ever played a three-legged race with someone who was disproportionately taller, shorter, bigger, or smaller than you? You know what a three-legged race is, yeah? When you... Yeah. When you play a three-legged race, the winners are almost always the pair that are kind of proportionately the same, isn't it? If you're kind of proportionately different, you're going to find that the big guy, most likely, is the one that will be dragging the little guy. And the other, the little guy, will be a burden on the big guy, right, when they rest. That is kind of the image that Paul has in mind here. So what is a yoke? A yoke is essentially a wooden pole, a stick with two grooves. And it's meant to uh, join two farm animals together to plow a field. Okay? But think about it. If the animals are not of an equal or similar size, let's say you have an ox, a huge one, right? And then you've got a goat, a small goat. You're not going to get your field plowed, Right? You're going to actually hurt one of those animals, or both of those animals. You and I need to have this image in mind whenever we interact with non-Christians. It doesn't mean that you don't have non-Christian friends. Obviously, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't also prohibit us from hanging out with people out there on a Friday night. Or, and this is slightly controversial, or even go on a date with them necessarily but I'll get to that later. But it does mean a few things. We've got to ask ourselves, what is the nature of our relationship with our non-Christian friend? Because we need to be careful of being in a relationship, bond, partnership, friendship that will compromise your Christian integrity or weaken your Christian convictions. You might be asking, that doesn't happen. Well, Paul uses a logical argument to make his case. He uses five logical arguments, in fact. He says, righteousness and lawlessness, light and darkness, Christ and the devil, believer and unbeliever, God's temple and idols. Are there any similarities between these things? Uh, For my fellow Bible nerds out there, This is called an antithetical speech. It's essentially designed to put two opposite ideas together in a sentence to highlight the difference in those two things. In each case, none of us can argue that those two things are similar. Paul makes this point that there is a logical imbalance when we try to yoke together as believers with unbelievers, simply by virtue of our nature as Christians. What is a Christian? We are righteous, light-bearing, Christ-following believers who are God's temple. And because of that, even though we love our non-Christian friends, we have to acknowledge that we are fundamentally different to them. And again, doesn't mean that we shouldn't have any interaction with the world out there. 
It simply asks you the clear yet challenging question. Are you being unequally yoked? Which means, are you being unequally influenced by them? That image of the three-legged race. Are you being dragged along by them in whatever direction they choose? Who is influencing who exactly? Who is influencing who? And just to make it easy for us, here are some questions I think we should ask. Whenever we go out on a Friday night, and not all of them, uh, not to the T, but I think it's helpful. Let me read them. When I am with these non-Christians, do I find myself in situations where I am dangerously exposed to temptation that often get the better of me? That often get the better of me. Second, when I am with these non-Christians, do I find it easier to compromise on ethical matters and think some things are gray. Remember the gray thing? We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. When I would call it black and sinful, if I were with Christians. Very important. And lastly, does my association with non-Christians, with these non-Christians, tend to make me more indifferent to my faith rather than be challenged and encouraged after it? All of these questions are ultimately variations of one. Who is influencing who exactly? Who is influencing who? Whether it's getting on the beers with your non-Christian friends or going on a date with someone that you might discover halfway through the date is probably not a Christian, we need to seriously ask ourselves these kinds of questions. We need to ask ourselves these questions and train ourselves to even subconsciously ask ourselves these questions if we as Christians are Christians who take our faith out on a Friday night. That's the logical argument. The second argument is an identity one. As God said, this is our verse 16, second part of uh, verse 16. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. When it comes to work drinks on a Friday night, we will naturally interact with non-Christians, whether they are just work colleagues or close friends at work. And I think um, I'm... Sim- oversimplifying this in one sense, but just to prove this point. I think some of us, we, we're, we're people that we don't really go out with our non-Christian friends on a work night, uh, on, a, on a Friday night. In fact, we're kind of uncomfortable in any social gathering, whether it's Christian or non-Christian. Um, we kind of, yeah, we don't, we don't really like to mingle with, with our work colleagues. Kind of Monday to Friday is enough for me, right? But there are others of us who feel maybe natural out on a Friday night. See what I'm saying? We, 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 we aren't not only not scared of our non-Christian friends, but we actually love hanging out with them. We love to go out on a Friday night after work. We love bantering with our colleagues. We love saying yes to whatever su- uh, suggestion they, they come up with on a Friday night. In fact, if I can be honest, pushing into that a little bit, 
I find if I were, and I kind of tend to be like that, honestly, if I were to be honest, um, I would find in that moment at least very hard to actually kind of think about Jesus in that moment. We find very little of any problems with our unbelieving friends. We don't really think about that on a Friday night. I mean, yeah, they don't believe in Jesus, but, but that's just, we kind of put that to the side and we just have a good time on a Friday night. Yeah? I think it's to these groups of people, uh, th- this group of people, so people like me, who these, these kind of verses speak to most powerfully. The reason why I say that is Paul is making here an identity argument. He's saying essentially, when you go out, don't forget who you are. A Friday night out spent without your faith. Again, who is influencing who here? That, that act brings you closer to who Jesus is or closer to who they are. There's no neutral. Uh, there's no, your car is not in neutral in that, at that point. You're moving forward or backward. Look, let me put it this way. Why do you go out on a Friday night? Why do we, as people who love hanging out with our friends, Christian or not, go out on a Friday night? Is it to have fun? There's nothing wrong with that. Have fun. Is it to maybe show face and advance our careers? Because, you know, depending on uh, what work you do, you kind of have to go to your work drinks to network. Nothing wrong with that. These things, as important as they might be, though, are ultimately secondary. They're important, but secondary. Because you are a Christian, brothers and sisters. What is the primary goal of a Christian who goes out on a Friday night? It's kind of a dumb question to ask because it's no different to any other moment that we live as a Christian, is it? Uh, Isn't it? The point of a Christian is to know Christ and to make Him known. Whether it's a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Whether you're asleep, whether you're awake, whatever you do, it's to know Christ and to make Him known. It's to live out our Christian identity. You are a Christian, brothers and sisters, before you are anything else. Before you're a worker, a colleague, a friend, a potential girlfriend or even a boyfriend. You are a Christian. That's what these verses are reminding us of. What does it mean to be a Christian? These verses spell it out for us. It's to have fellowship with God, isn't it? It's to have Him as Lord. To be accepted and embraced by, not the world, but by Him. And be called sons and daughters. Whatever we do out there on a Friday night as Christians flows out from who we are as Christians. You know, I kind of said this before. Jack has a choice to make to whether to take out his faith with him or not on a Friday night. Not really, because if Jack's a genuine Christian, it's part of who he is, so he's going out. Faith is not like your wallet where you sometimes leave it at home. Faith is like a body part that is always with you, and you go out with it, whether you like it or not. Whether you forget about it or not, you're still taking it with you. You don't remember to take your nose with you when you go out on a Friday night, right? But you might forget to bring your wallet out. Faith is like the nose rather than the wallet. Dumb analogy, I kind of, uh, yeah, kind of gets, I hope it gets the point across. But anyway, anyway, moving on. 
Uh, taking your faith. So taking your faith out with you on a Friday night is the same as taking your identity with you. So again, you're a Christian before you're anything else. Before you're a work colleague or a friend or even a hinge date, you are a Christian. So, begs the question, what about you is exactly Christian when you go out on a Friday night? What about you is Christian? Who is influencing who exactly? See, Christians behaving Christianly is the same thing as dogs who bark. It's just part of our nature. It's who we are. If our Christian identity seems to be taking a back seat when we go out, I think this indicates one of two things. Number one, we are behaving contrary to our nature. And we need to get back to behaving like who and what we are. That might be you. You know, at your heart of hearts, you are a Christian. You love Jesus. And there's grace and forgiveness, isn't there, in the Christian faith? Praise God that there is. Or, the second option, though we might call ourselves a Christian, Come to church on a week-to-week basis. Our identity and our nature isn't actually a Christian one. We don't find Jesus important. And we're actually living out our identity on a Friday night. It's just not a Christian one. One of the ways that we can suss out which category we might fall under is to reflect on that verse. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Whenever we find ourselves in a situation where we are unequally yoked with unbelievers, for the genuine Christian who has their identity in the Lord Jesus, will feel the cost. There will always be a cost felt for the Christian. And that sense of cost, that feeling that your Christian character and your convictions are being affected, A a true Christian will care about that. He He or she will notice that. And they will care about it. And I hope that's everyone here. But if what I'm saying here doesn't resonate with you, if that cost is foreign to you, if you've spent many times with your non Christian friends and you've never once cared about how they might actually be affecting you, then it might actually be a time to ask, who am I really? What is my identity? Is it really in Christ? Is it really in Christ? Move on to our third and final argument that the Apostle Paul gives. It's the holiness one. Verse uh, 1, chapter 7, verse 1. Since we have these promises, beloved... Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. The question of identity in the Christian uh, paradigm, rubric, framework, whatever you want to call it, identity leads to action. Your Christian identity leads to action. He says in verse 1, Since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves. It naturally flows on to the call 
to holiness. The trajectory of a Christian is a trajectory toward holiness. And that is why a Friday night out, brothers and sisters, matters to God. Whether it's for work drinks, whether it's going to the city and hitting the clubs. I don't know what people still do that. Yeah, I'm sure they do. Or going on a date. Whatever you do on a Friday night, God cares about it. Because God cares about our holiness. You know, let me talk about holiness for a second. Yeah? We know that in one sense. Christians are no better than the non-Christian. Correct? We're not. The only difference between us and the non-Christian is we are saved by grace alone. And we trust in the Lord Jesus. We are all sinners, as people say. And it's not a bad thing to keep that in mind. It is not a bad thing. It is a very good thing. It keeps us humble. It helps us to appreciate the grace of God more and more in the Lord Jesus. We are all sinners. And how good it is that God forgives sinners in Jesus, even sinners like me. But, I think this is where we've kind of let the ball drop a little bit. But God also calls us to a holy life, doesn't he? Not only that, but we have a personal responsibility to commit towards holiness. Let us cleanse ourselves, Paul says. This kind of holiness pursuit is it's to be extensive and uncompromising. Paul says, from every defilement of body and spirit. So there's no cutting of corners or calling sin a gray matter. We pursue a completely holy life, even while knowing that we will not get it until glory. Paul says, bringing holiness to completion. We need to pursue holiness. As wretched sinners we might be, Christians are to be holy. So when Jack goes out on a Friday night to have some bevies with his workmates, or whether Jack goes on that date with the girl that he's matched with on Hinge, God says to him, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers because as a Christian, holiness is one of his first priorities. Holiness. So you think about it like this. It's true that Jesus sought out the sinner. That Jesus was a friend of, what? Sinners. And what a savior that he does. What a savior that he doesn't condemn sinners, but he hangs out with them. But you know what he never did? He never compromised his holiness, did he? We make a big deal about Jesus hanging out with tax collectors, but Think about when Jesus hung out with Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Jesus didn't tax collect with Zacchaeus, did he? That sounds dumb. No, he changed Zacchaeus for the better. It's a commonly known fact that Jesus also talked to prostitutes, reached out to prostitutes. You know where I'm going with that? As far as I know, he didn't, you know? Exactly. He reached out to the sinner of sinners, not so that he would sin with them, so that he might change them. 
See my point? In that scenario, who influenced who in Jesus' ministry? Who is influencing who exactly? It was Jesus, wasn't it? It wasn't the sinner. Jesus influenced them with his holiness. Holiness was what attracted people to him. Put it this way, brothers and sisters, the goal on a Friday night for all of us as Christians is to strike a balance between pharisaical isolationism and promiscuous over-involvement. Pharisaical isolationism, promiscuous over-involvement. And where to get a balance through it all, what determines that? Maintain a standard of influence of holiness. Maintain a standard of influential holiness. So I guess the, the frank question that I want to ask everyone here is, how important is holiness to you? Because I think that very simple question will determine how we apply this talk. How important is holiness to you? Because the more important it is to you, I think the more likely you are to listen to God who says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. If holiness isn't important, then that phrase, that command, won't be as important. Being unequally yoked with the unbeliever, whether it's with the logical argument or the identity argument or the holiness argument, I've kind of said this through our talk today, it's really a matter of influence. Who is influencing who exactly? If there is a Christian fellow here and a non-Christian fellow here, and their mates, one is influencing the other. There is no benign, neutral relationship between the unbeliever and the believer. One will influence the other. Who is influencing who exactly? One will lead the other down a particular path. One will disciple the other down a particular path. That is what being unequally yoked means. So when it comes to our way of living, our holiness, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is warning the Corinthian church, you're going to be influenced by the non-Christian more often than not. We've got to take heed to that word of warning. If you are interested and committed to the fight of holiness, then just be aware that this can happen. I think that's the application for this point. As people who are wanting to be holy and like Jesus, just be aware of that. Do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever who is influencing who exactly. Our Friday night out for the Christian, kind of said this before, it doesn't need to be some kind of covert evangelism outreach you know, uh, program or task. You can still have fun with your friends, Christian or not. The Apostle Paul doesn't say that we should retire from the world. The Apostle Paul doesn't say that we should reject the non-believer and have our holy huddles at church. If that's the case, the church will not grow. A Friday night out 
is, in the positive sense, a great opportunity for us to wield influence, isn't it? It is. But we have to take heed the Apostle Paul's warning. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. We are to enter, this is up on the board, we are to enter into no relationship or bond or partnership or endeavor that will compromise your Christian integrity or weaken your will for holiness or cast a shadow on your reputation. We are to enter into no relationship or bond or partnership or endeavor that will compromise your Christian integrity or weaken your will for holiness or cast a shadow on your reputation. On that note, let me address the topic of dating. I'm going to dive into that minefield. Here we go. If you were to ask me, what does the Bible say about dating non-Christians? Because this, this verse comes up a lot if you ask the typical Christian. Let me just push back first and say the Bible actually doesn't say anything about dating non-Christians because it doesn't say anything about dating at all. Dating wasn't invented then, right? So we've got to be careful there. We can't say the Bible says this about something where the Bible clearly isn't addressing. But having said that, with everything that we've talked about today, we can honestly say with the stuff that was addressed, there are some things that God tells us to do in the context of relationship that dating can fall under. So we can't say that God doesn't care about dating either. Okay? Second, I'd say this. If you're already in a dating relationship with a non-Christian, I am not going to oversimplify what is, I'm sure, a complex, complicated situation that we are all in and say, you need to break up. I think that's unloving. I think that's too simplistic. And I think ultimately, such harshness isn't in line with the gentleness of Jesus. Because I get it. It's tough out there. And finding someone who you gel well with, who you get along with, who gets you, who likes you, and who you like back, sometimes it feels like trying to find a needle in a haystack. All the single people said amen to that, right? It's hard. And you found someone, and you have all these things, but there's just one thing that they don't have. They're not quite there yet with their faith. And sometimes genuine Christians end up dating non-Christians. It happens. And some of us are either married or married a non-Christian. To that, the Bible is very clear. The Bible says, if you are a believer and you're married to someone who does not yet believe, the Bible encourages you to work on that marriage, to pray for your unbelieving husband or wife, to make sure that with your conduct, with the way that you are to them as a wife and a husband who is a Christian, that you can, hopefully, in God's timing and His effectual grace, that they too might believe as well. It's very specific uh, in the way that 
the Bible instructs us in that circumstance. But having said that, those of us who are married to non-believers and those of us who are dating non-believers, I don't think I need to say anything more to convince you of this image of being unequally yoked. You know what I mean. We know that even though in those relationships it's joyful, it's genuine, it's, it's, it's happy, it's good, but, but at the core there's always going to be a dissatisfaction, isn't there? Because if you are a genuine Christian, brother or sister, the central foundational source of your life is Jesus, isn't it? And if that is not being shared with uh, your partner, there's always going to be a dissatisfaction. I'm not saying that you can't be happy and you're going to be miserable all the time. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm simply saying, if Jesus is your foundational source of life, if, if, if He is the one that sets your foundational values, by definition, you are unequally yoked. Those who are in dating relationships, like I said, I'm not saying break up. That's obviously very unloving. And I think doesn't acknowledge the complexity of, of relationships. But this is what I would say to you. Just, just wisely, with gentleness and kindness, express to that person that you are looking to marry, hopefully, how important Jesus is to you. Have regular conversations about that. And at the very least, influence them closer to Jesus rather than what happens so often, and it does happen, happen so often, where the Christian is influenced away from Jesus. Um, everybody know, knows Timothy Keller. I think most of us do. Uh, this is what he, him and his uh, wife, Kathy, says about this topic. They actually have, have, have a son um, who went through something similar. He was told by uh, the Kellers uh, of the sorrows and disobedience of being married to, to a non-Christian. But nevertheless... He ended up meeting someone who was of a secular Jewish background. Um, their friendship grew and developed into something more. And this is what they say about him. To his credit, our son told her, look, I can't marry you unless you are a Christian. And you can't become a Christian just to marry me. See, see how that works? He said, I can't marry you unless you are a Christian. And you can't become a Christian just to marry me. He says, I'll sit with you in church, but if you are serious about figuring out Christianity, you're going to have to do it on your own, not with me. Find your own small group. Read books. Talk to people other than me. Fortunately, there's a happy ending to this story. She did that, and she's, uh, she was apparently a woman of great integrity, and she became a Christian, and she actually said to Tim and Kathy, uh, Timothy and Kathy Keller, you know, your son should have never been seeing me in the first place as he grew, as she grew as a Christian. And she came to faith and the boyfriend held the water when she was baptized. The next week he proposed and they've been married ever since. Growing, struggling, repenting, but married. Now I share that story because for a lot of us, it's not our own. The point of that is, it's complicated. It's tough. God has given you wisdom 
brother and sister. The wise call might be to end the relationship. It might not be. But that example of Timothy and Kathy Keller's son, I hope that encourages you just a little bit to maybe do something differently about your relationship. Who is influencing who exactly? Don't let your love for your partner overtake your love for Jesus. Again, I cannot say that the Bible tells Christians to not go on dates with non-Christians because the Bible doesn't. But, as I've said also, in this day and age, a dating relationship is one of the most intimate forms of human relationships. Am I not right? Am I not wrong in saying that? I think so. I think in some certain circles of uh, society, dating relationship is actually more intimate than a married relationship. Obviously not in the church context, but in some circles in our culture, dating is more intimate than a married relationship. So what Paul is saying here matters to us. All you people out there who want a missionary date, you know what missionary dating is? Have you considered what's at stake? What are your hard priorities in that potential relationship? And it's a question that I've got to ask myself as well. Because I'm single, and it's something that I have skin in the game with too. But what is the purpose for me diving into a particular relationship? Is it companionship? Is it because I'm lonely? Is it because my friends started having babies and started getting married? Is it because I feel left out? Is it validation? Approval? Is holiness to God a strengthening of your faith present in that whirlwind of of intentions? It's got to be as a Christian. A Christian who pursues a pure, uh, a Christian who pursues genuine holiness is a Christian who has God at the center of his life. So if that's you, if you have God at the center of your life, let me just put it this way. This is how I'm going to end. If you have God at the center of your life and you date someone who does, I'm talking to people who are single right now, um, and you date someone who doesn't have God at the center of your life, there are really only two things that can actually happen in an unequally yoked relationship like that. So, so after the kind of romantic chemistry dies down, uh, after the sort of mutual interests are exhausted and you stop faking that you actually like something that you don't like, because you know what I mean? You know, we all do that. After all that kind of dies down, she's not going to understand me. Think about it. If I have God at the center and everything I do is an outflow from my love for God, she's not going to understand me. Because at the heart of my life is Jesus. So in that space, I can either do one of two things. I can push Jesus out of the center. Now, I'm not saying that we fall away. I'm just saying we you know, push Jesus out of the center into kind of the outskirts of our life. And we put her there. Or put him there. He or she is my center. Jesus is still kind of there, but he's not in the city. He's in the suburbs. you know. Or... I have her remain out there in the outskirts, out in the suburbs, and keep Jesus at the center. Both of which I think are painful, I think difficult, and I think ultimately costly. So if you're single here, and if you're looking for a partner, I just want to say this to you, and I think I echo Paul's words as well, um, as your pastors, but but also just as 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 a single, as a fellow single, who also knows how tough sometimes it might get, and who also has skin in the game. 
just at the very least look for someone who loves Jesus. Just, just. I'm not saying that attraction is not important. Those things are like having romantic chemistry and and having mutual interests and being attracted. These things are very important. But more important than that, have Jesus at the center. Look for a guy or girl who is on the same page with you when it comes to Jesus. Or better yet, who loves Jesus more than you. Don't settle for, uh, they go to church. Don't, Don't settle for, oh, they're open to faith. Don't settle for, they grew up in church. But settle for, he loves Jesus. She loves Jesus. Be equally yoked together in the Lord. Talked way too long about that, but let's let's close. Let, uh, let's pray. Whether it's going out for some drinks, whether it's going on a date, or whether it's just doing whatever you do um, out on a Friday night to blow off some steam, to hang out with people in the world, just ask that question. Who is influencing who exactly? And the Word of God says more often than not, it, it tends to be the, uh, the, uh, the non-Christian influencing the Christian. We've got to be aware of that, right? So let's spend some time just confessing before God maybe the mistakes that we've made uh, in our kind of many Friday nights in the past and recommit to this call to holiness, recommit to this call to live out our identity as Jesus followers. To answer the question, what partnership has light with darkness? And we say nothing. We love people in the darkness, but light and darkness, nothing in common. Who is influencing who exactly? I invite you to pray that. And if you're a if you're a person who's not yet married, you might be in a relationship, you might be single, and you're just wrestling with this idea. And, and like, I don't think this this topic is talked about enough. Um, maybe it's because our church is heavily a family church, and praise God for that. Um, maybe it's other reasons, but I I, I get it. it. It can get tough to figure this stuff out, especially as we get older and older, and more people seem to be getting married and having kids. It's it's tough. I get it. I speak from experience, and yet, don't you want? a godly, joyful, gospel-centered, happy marriage? Don't you want to be equally yoked for the rest of your life with someone who shares your values? And like I said, a lot of us are in a different situation. Some of us are in relationships already. Some of us are married to people who might not believe. Some of us, uh, we kind of, maybe you're like Jack. Maybe you're kind of, you know, talking to five, six different people at once on Hinge and kind of just trying to suss out um, who to meet and who to date and all that kind of stuff. And it's hard, man. But at the end of it, at the center of everything, that question still applies. Who is influencing who exactly? Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Just invite you to maybe have the space where you can just express that frustration maybe or desire or just asking for wisdom, whatever it might be. As, As people who are not yet married... I invite you to to just spend some time doing business with the Lord. Let's do that for a minute or two. Let's pray.